0: You're tuned in to the Tin roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina, on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malick, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malick, and we're broadcasting from our Tin roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for tuning in today, and before we get to the interview with Nathan... There's something we've forgot to mention, and that is the Clemson Soil Test. Now, if you want to grow vegetables or fruit on your own dirt, and you're new to this, my suggestion is to start with getting your soil analyzed by Clemson University. One bag of your soil can be analyzed for a particular vegetable, and that's only going to cost you 7 or $8. And Clemson will mail you a detailed report tell you what you need to do to treat your soil if you'd like to grow that particular vegetable we did it our first year for several different uh, crops and this is an invaluable service to anyone in the upstate that wants to produce luscious tomatoes or a hearty crop of potatoes uh start, start it today because in the busy season they do probably a thousand samples a week so just go to google search for the clemson soil test and you'll be on the way well, if you're a regular at Greenville's downtown farmer's market, you've probably met my guest, Nathan Vanette. Nathan is easily the best-dressed farmer, probably the best-dressed guy on Main Street during the farmer's market. And uh, the first time I met him, when I was the event chef at Sobeys, he walked in looking like Caracanus Potts from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nathan may have an eye for looking good. His vegetables and leafy greens are equally as well-dressed. Welcome to the Tendroof Farm Radio Show, y'all. Nathan Vanette of Green Green Family Farms. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure's all mine, sir. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a sloppy day outside, and uh, we got a brief tour of the farm. Nathan got to meet uh, Tom, but we didn't get up close. It's just, it is just too muddy and gross outside, so no worries there, right? None at all. You're used to working with the dirt, no doubt?
1: Very much so, uh, especially in the rainy season, because vegetables don't slow down, rain or shine. So whether it's raining, snowing, or whatnot, we are out there with the plants. Vegetables do not slow down. Nope. Yeah. You know, uh, years ago when
0: I was cooking in uh, Charleston, a friend of mine had a small seafood company, and he was seven days a week, and he told me one day, he says, You know what, Malik? Dead fish don't sleep. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm always on the job. If I've got product, that's always for sale. So Nathan, I'm a big fan of yours. I love everything I've seen from you. And um, so tell me, how long have you you been doing this and and how did you get started?
1: Uh, So I actually got started back when I was 10 years old. My grandfather inspired me just to grow vegetables. He had a small patio garden and absolutely loved just to grow tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, and anything else he could right there. And from there, he just inspired me to start growing and experimenting myself. So I had my compost pile, got all the vegetable seeds started inside, planted them outside, and had fun just experimenting with it. This was up in Michigan, where I grew up. Uh, My parents homeschooled all my siblings and I, K through twelve. And one one of my passions was just waking up at five o'clock in the morning so I could be done with school at noon to be out in nature thereafter. Whether it's in the garden, exploring. Wait, how how, how old were you when you decided this was a passion? Ten years old. Ten years old. Yep. Ten years old, and you decided 5 a.m., that's me. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Rock and roll, man. I love it. (laughs) So from there, uh, I became a farmer for a local farm just around the street uh, at the age of 16, and that was a hydroponic facility. So they were doing lots of lettuces, microgreens, and tomatoes, and that was just a fantastic experiment uh, to be able to participate with different types of growing techniques, especially in Michigan, where... Uh, you only have one shot at the growing season, but with hydroponics, sure. you can go year-round. Yeah. Fast forwarding to down here, we started the farm growing Green Family Farms uh, after operating it successfully in Michigan for about four years, okay. and we started here in 2015. So my brother-in-law, Chris Osland, is a business partner. And then three of my younger sisters also participate on the farm. And it's been really cool just to see that family dynamic continue to culture and grow and really uh, articulate and enable us to describe who we are through that family operation. So... Barring the obvious, what brought you from Michigan
0: to South Carolina? Other than the weather. I know. <laughs> weather was definitely... The four a- of y'all, right? The four of y'all moved down? Uh, or did
1: ever, the whole family? Everyone but my eldest brother, who lives in California. So that would be five of my siblings, my parents, my grandparents. One of my uncles and aunts have moved here. Some of my cousins. So we basically had a large caravan that over time has just been trickling down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was the winter of 2014, though. That really did it end for us. Uh, we lost sight of the ground around October 31st. And didn't Ah. see it again until Mother's Day. Ah. The snow was so deep, we had to shovel the snow off the roof three times over the course of the winter. And we could not see out the bay windows out front. So, that was a little depressing. Mm -hmm. But then, another thing is the lack of sunshine. My grandparents were snowbirds, so they had to go to Florida just to be able to stay warm and keep active. Because it was just too risky on the ice to go outside and too cold for them as well. So, that was one of the draws. But mm-hmm. as a family unit, we've also visited the upstate area since about 2012. Or sorry, 2008. Just okay. for family vacations. And we really fell in love with the Greenville, South Carolina area in particular. Close proximity to the lakes, the mountains, not far right. from the coast. I know, right. Everything about the yeah. city was, it just felt like home. Yeah. Was this always your goal when you, when whoever
0: instigated this, this move... It's like, well, yeah, let's move down to South Carolina, and we can, we can garden here, we can farm here, we can...
1: Right? The whole family was on board. That they were. In fact, my father, uh, he grew up on a farm, so, but ended up having to go into the construction industry, as my grandfather unfortunately lost his land. But it's always been a passion of his to get back into agriculture. Mm -hmm. So hopefully within the next couple of years, he's hoping to rejoin it. So this move to South Carolina, we saw as an excellent opportunity to be able to expand our growing operation, to be able to sustain multiple families. This was challenging in Michigan, where we had started farming, because we had a limited growing season, and the land that we had up there was not well suited for agricultural purposes. But down here we have five acres of beautiful countryside uh, and we've also acquired an urban farm plot in West Greenville which has been really neat just to have that close proximity to the chefs to have chefs out and see and taste what we're doing right from the farm yeah the little plot of land that I'm familiar with it's uh, not too far away from Coastal Crust Pizza so where's your five acres Our five acres is in Anderson, right off of exit 14 from I-85. So it's a bit of a trek, but 85 makes it very convenient to get to and from Greenville in particular. So are you looking for new land? My wife and I actually just bought a 23 acre parcel of land over in Townville. That will be for homesteading, but we are going to be doing certain crops for growing green. In particular, we're looking at possibly some figs, getting in some different orchards, possibly some table grapes just to add diversity because five acres is great for vegetable production but it's pretty small especially if you want to start doing different types of fruit crops in particular on a sizable scale right right now you're familiar of course with the uh, happy berry i'm assuming you've been there before right very much so Uh, oh oh it's inspiring every time you go there just to see all of their vineyards all the fruit they have there and uh, see farmer goals right farmer goals yeah well, yeah, we could use a few more places like that,
0: too. And they're so, they're so knowledgeable. They're so enthusiastic about, about what they're doing and, and going out there. When the kids were little and we had our restaurant, uh, we would go out there at least once a season and pick gobs of blueberries and, hmm. and uh, just love, love going out there. Um, so now you have a CSA,
1: correct? That is correct. So a CSA, just in Mm -hmm. case you're not familiar, it stands for a Community Supported Agriculture. Essentially, this is an opportunity that we present to our customers in the community Mm -hmm. to buy almost like a share of the farm. What's helpful to us as a farmer is it enables us to get some seed money ahead of time, uh, especially since this time of year, oftentimes cash flow is much slower. Mm -hmm. Uh, Crops are still growing, but not as fast. So having some seed money, as with a CSA structure, frequently there's a deposit up front that enables us to buy the seeds for the growing season. So we offer a CSA actually year round. So we have a spring, summer, fall, and winter share. Nice. And we offer either home delivery options or there are pickup locations at any of our three farm locations. Yeah. So what is in your CSAs right now? What are people picking up? Right now we have green cabbage, scallions, Heirloom lettuces, radishes, microgreens, minty herbal drink, which is a blend of like five varieties of mint, lemon balm, and pineapple sage, just for making like a cold water infused drink. Yeah. And then we also have a rotating herb, whether it's chives or cilantro, sometimes it's rosemary, just to keep it nice and diverse.
0: I can remember, I was probably, it was probably something that I was watching uh, about the challenges of large or small scale farming. And the guy that was being interviewed, he was a successful farmer. And he said, you have to understand that every year you literally bet the farm, hmm. right? Because if the crop fails for whatever reason, if weather related or whatever, then you could literally lose your land, you know, because there's, there's so much money tied up in that one season. When, when uh, we were driving home, we, we spent some time in Ohio. Mm. Uh, about two weeks because Amy's uh, aunt and um, uh, her husband live there and they live in a beautiful part of Ohio just um, on the southeastern side of Columbus and it's farmland it's all these beautiful rolling hills of farmland wow but you know what they're growing is darn soybeans and feed corn and it's so depressing because 70% of what you see in a traditional grocery store is coming out of Southern California, right hmm. where there's you know where they get like twelve inches of rain a year, you know, and they're just like sucking the Colorado River dry and 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 meanwhile, you have all this i mean there's and there's a lot of that here in South Carolina, a lot of our farmland in the lower part of the state is it's it's non edible crops you know it's it's soybeans and corn and and I sure wish some of our farmers would start changing and, you know, growing something else and branching out a little bit, mm. you know.
1: Yeah, it, it is really disheartening, especially since uh, talking with some of these farmers, so many of them rely just on the subsidies they get from the government to yep. stay in operation. Yeah. Either that or in order to determine what crops they plant, it's actually talking to their insurance agent to see if something fails or if the market collapses. This is the one that you'll get the most money out of, so especially the commodity crops, it is very challenging to today, especially if you don't have thousands of acres to make a living off of it. yeah but but you are
0: making a living on five acres. that is correct. plus a small plot in you know, which is what a quarter acre maybe
1: about a quarter yeah, acre about in production. A quarter. Yeah, about a quarter. And out of the five acres, only about two acres of that is in agricultural production. The rest of that pasture, we're actually improving by rotating chickens on it. Oh, yeah. the hopes of getting some milk cow just to help provide and supplement our uh, family food in particular. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
0: All right, so I know what the chickens are doing. Tell our
1: audience, what is the chickens doing to the ground? How are they preparing it for uh, crops? It is truly astonishing. They're doing multiple things. They're aerating the soil they provide free fertilizer which is incredible the nitrogen from chicken manure in Mm -hmm. particular Mm -hmm. is hard to beat especially for improving pasture that has been either aggressively farmed in the past and it just helps rebuild that organic content as well you can literally see on the farm it's quite spectacular all of the strips where we have the chicken tractors that we rotate around the farm right behind them about two or three weeks dark lush grass is coming up and it is just spectacular Mm -hmm. to see that type of regeneration by just being good stewards of the land that we have. Yeah. Um, we've got about two
0: dozen chickens right now. And uh, we'll turn them loose into our garden right before we plant. And they'll, um, by preparing the soil, what they're doing is scratching. And, you know, sometimes if it's a if it's a hot day, sometimes they'll dig holes. <laughs> this is something I didn't know until we actually had chickens. Mm. Middle of the summer, man, they'll dig a hole to stay. <laughs> and you're like... Tell, I was, well, the first time I blamed it on Otis, I was like, Otis, what, is, what are you doing? Why are you digging this?
1: <laughs> yeah, and they're great, and they will eat anything that moves. Hmm. So very true. Unless it's like a big snake. That is true. They'll yeah. go after mice, but snakes in particular, I haven't seen them go after those yet. Now, I, two years ago, we saw them
0: destroy a, uh, a young black snake. Really? Yeah, it was about a foot long. You know? Oh Now now there's been a couple times where we've had a, a big snake in the barn and I've had to pull a few uh, big black snakes out of the barn, a black rat <laughs> snake, which is always fun fun and exciting. But a couple years ago, there was a, uh, a small black snake that, that they found and it looked like a scene out of Jurassic Park when they <laughs> <laughs> Wow, well, yeah, Have you ever had to pull a black snake out of your uh, chicken coop?
1: Not at Anderson, but my wife and I have a backyard flock in Cherrydale, where we live, and we've had to pull a couple of large black snakes, uh, some of them with the eggs still in them out. So, definitely an intriguing experience, but... You know, the thing is, is like, the black snake will keep the mice away, right? Exactly.
0: And sometimes it's like, well, it's only costing us one egg every so often, but you really want that guy hanging out, and, you know, maybe, mm. he, just, maybe he decides to bring the family over and all of a sudden, he's picked, you know, it's... <laughs> Six eggs. We, we had one this was a couple years ago, and so we have a small barn. We have some rafters in it, and uh, so my wife, I'm I'm coming home, and my wife is texting me, "Hurry! There's a snake in the barn." It's like, and it's like ten o'clock at night. So we, sh- we had baby chickens in there at the time, oh. and and this darn black snake, you know, so th- so they can sense heat. So I put on some heavy gloves, right, and plus black snakes. When they're under stress, they're gonna squirt out this musk, right? That's gonna that's gonna just be funky. So you don't want to be grabbing on them with with bare hands. And so this guy had gotten up in the rafters, and um, yeah, so so I reached up there. I had an empty garbage can, <laughs> right? Big garbage can, like 48 gallon can. Oh yeah. And a heavy gloves on. And I'm like, all right, buddy, time to come down. And I reach up there, stood on a milk crate, I grab him by the tail, and he wrapped himself around one of those rafters, oh. and I'm like talking and I'm not a I'm a strong guy and I'm like (laughs) and he's pulling so hard I'm like oh we're gonna break the rafter oh my goodness wow he did not want to come down but I finally uh, eased off the pressure and so he eased off and then I pulled real quick and I got him in the garbage can and so I didn't I'm not gonna kill him right so I'm gonna bring him to the back back of the pasture and that darn thing jumped out of that garbage (laughs) can He was five, maybe six feet long. He was so big. Ooh. Jumped out of that can and um, just trying to get away from me, you know. He's, I mean, it's not a big, whatever. If he, if he bit me, it wouldn't be a end of the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he just wanted to get away. But um, what an adventure. Life on a farm. Always fun, right? Indeed. Never a dull moment. <laughs> Never a dull moment. So, where do you get um, your crops for the next year? specifically seed catalogs and are you buying Mm -hmm. hybrids or or no
1: it has been one of those things that has been fascinating to see how we've evolved with how we progress towards whether it's the acquisition of seedlings or the seed Mm -hmm. uh years past we did more of the hybrids as uh i mean oftentimes they say that you get better productivity or whatnot but we often found them lacking in flavor so we're actually in a transition back towards different heirloom varieties that have more flavors, or if it is a hybrid, such as the Sun Gold tomato in particular, uh, which has an incredible flavor. Right. It's worth to get a hybrid, but we're trying to find that delicate balance uh, where we get flavor without the sacrifice of quality. Especially mm-hmm. with dealing with local chefs, such as yourself, when you were over at uh, Sobeys, we wanted to make sure that we have both consistency and color, flavor, and quality. And if any of those were lacking, it was really hard to deliver on an order that was placed. So we st- that's been one challenging thing. But uh, one thing that we're trying to do to mitigate this is actually starting to do some seed collection of ourselves. Right. Creating our own type of heirlooms or open pollinated varieties. As it does a couple of things. Most seed companies are positioned either in the Midwest, Northeast, or Northwest, which isn't the Southeast. Challenging thing with this, the seeds are acclimated for that particular environment right uh, whereas yeah. if you grow the plant here collect the seed from here as a couple of generations progress you get be- both better production better pest resistance but then uh, acclimation to the environment to thrive in particular in this region wow so is park seed no longer viable or uh, park seed is viable there's also because uh, they're in greenwood that they are yeah the challenging thing is the volume of seed that they produce is not enough for commercial scale, excellent for home gardeners. But when uh-huh. you're talking about needing pounds of seeds oh, and they're I selling it in a packet size, yeah. it's just hard to find the viability a, there. A little half-ounce packet. Yep. So historically, we've gone to Johnny Seed Company. They have excellent seed quality uh, and great diversity especially for a market gardener uh, but we have been transitioning more towards like Baker Creek which deal with incredible diversity of heirloom tomatoes and different varieties of vegetables in particular
0: so I I know the downside to hybrid so tell our audience why you would not want to use hybrid
1: Uh lack of flavor you do get more production but oftentimes it's not as vibrant uh, sometimes, But you can't, you can't also collect the seeds. That is correct. It is a very important aspect. So yeah. sometimes you can think, oh, I can plant this seed and harvest the tomato, collect those seeds. But the problem is, with a hybrid, it's two different types of tomatoes, for instance, that they have crossbred, collected and isolated those seeds to be true to whatever the cross that was. But mm-hmm. if you planted that seed, it would have a genetic diversity of some sort of mix of what those parent plants were, and you will not get the same characteristics. So it's, in the essence, not true to seed.
0: Right, right. So you like Johnny's seeds? That yeah. we do. Yeah. Well, that was a question my wife had. Wanted to know where... <laughs> Find out where he's buying his seeds. So is there a... Uh, Nathan, is there a particular vegetable, uh, leafy green or something like that, that you personally can't get enough of, that's, that um, when it's coming up, you're just like... Praise God. Look at this. It's going to be wonderful.
1: <laughs> there are two categories that we look at it in. Okay. Uh, one is what type of demand the chefs have for a particular leafy green. No, I mean you personally. Oh, me you? personally? Yeah, oh, yeah, personally. that's a tough one. Uh, in terms of a leafy green, I can't get enough spinach, especially spinach grown in the winter when it has the cold temperatures at night. Right. The sugars come forth from the roots. Right. And it is a true night and day difference from the spinach you get at the store. During the summertime, I like going for a good peppery arugula. So once again, oftentimes the arugula that you get from the store Mm -hmm. might not be as vibrant in flavor, Mm -hmm. but if you grow it yourself, oh, there's nothing like it. Putting some of that on, whether it's scrambled eggs in the morning, putting it on a sandwich for lunchtime or on a pizza. I agree. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I agree. Spinach,
0: especially like grocery store spinach, has a high concentration of oxalic acid. Is that correct? That is correct. And that's what gives it that, that minerality that's um, almost like a, a, a tannins, like from a, from, a, from a young Cabernet or something like that, that like you like just bit into a cork, mm-hmm. you know,
1: oxalic acid. And the challenging thing is, part of it is they're so growing that same crop on that same piece of land, which salinates the soil. So more of that type of acid will come up. If you uh. grow it in your backyard, you'll still get some of the oxalic acid because it is just one of those things that is, uh, that plant has a tentative, or a, it has the capability to draw that up more naturally than other plants. Uh, for instance, with beets, uh, it's a different type of acid, but it draws up a particular type of acid that gives it that earthy flavor. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Beets are one of my favorite. Oh, and,
1: they get no respect. I think that's because too many of
0: us, uh, all we know from beets is uh, canned beets, mm. which, are, which are grotesque. Very much so. Right? But if you, buy, if you buy fresh beets that are nice and firm and just roast them in the oven for like an hour or whatever, hour and a half, they're, they're, they're idiot proof to somewhat, you know, mm. let it cool, peel them, and then like quarter them or dice them. And then serum in a skillet. Oh my gosh, so good! What time is dinner? Yeah, right. (laughs) Have you had the fried beets from uh, Kitchen Sink? No. Tempura fried beet. Oh my! You gotta go. You've got to go. You've got to go. Wow. You gotta go. I'm going there today for lunch. I would would invite you, but I'm meeting some potential clients. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they serve them with a um, with with an herb aioli.
1: Oh, man, so good. Beautiful.
0: Yeah, so good. Uh, So, is there anything that you don't eat? Is there something that you grow um, that's popular that you're like, you know what? If me and cauliflower never saw one another again, that'd be
1: fine. (laughs) Historically, it has been broccoli. Broccoli, What? Broccoli and cauliflower. I don't know why. Growing up, I could not stand it. The flavor, the consistency. But for the most part, uh, growing up, we only had it boiled. So, oh, yeah. Uh. as soon as you, but then last year I tried it oven roasted with broccoli. Oh, anyways. it's great! It is spectacular. Just yeah. get it so that it's nice and crispy on the tip and yeah, yeah. drizzle a little olive oil, maybe a pinch of garlic, some sea salt. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. Colorflower. I'm not quite one over yet. I had a traumatic experience as a kid where one of those potluck events that you go to, it was mashed. A traumatic cauliflower experience. Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's something I thought you were hoping you would say today. (laughs) It looked like mashed potatoes. It was pureed and blended, so it was perfectly smooth. So I was like, oh, I love mashed potatoes. I took a big heaping spoonful. And you're like, no. Put it on the plate, put some gravy on top, and I bit into it. I'm like, what? What is this plate of lies? (laughs) What is this? (laughs) Ever since, I have not trusted cauliflower. I don't know if I can go back. Nope. There's a restaurant in uh,
0: Hendersonville, Never Blue, that fries cauliflower like they were buffalo wings. Really? Yeah, yep. Yep. Toss them in hot sauce. Yeah. Chef Jesse. Yeah. (laughs) You might might have to get up there and try those. If we want to um, buy your vegetables, how are we going to do that? Where can we find you other than the downtown market, which starts when? The first week of May, running okay. through
1: the last week of October. And you're going back, right? There we are. Yep. okay. Other than that, uh, for the winter, the Travelers Rest Farmers Market has a winter series market. It's the second Saturday of every month, running January through April, just to try to help bridge the, the winter season when all farmers markets are closed down. So that's been really neat. Uh, so we'll be participating there. We also sell through the Clemson Area Food Exchange, which is oh, almost like an okay. online farmer's market. It's great because tons of local vendors, whether they have meat, cheese, eggs, bread, whatever it is, or for us, produce, we can post all of the product that we have available, and the people can just customize what they purchase. There's another organization that's a bit newer to the area called Market Wagon. They actually deliver to 16 counties around mm-hmm. the upstate and the south or southern part of... Uh, North Carolina as well, so Buncombe County, for in particular, if you're up in that area, you can get our produce. Yeah, so, nice. Otherwise, we have our website, GrowingGreenFamilyFarms.com, and we have all of our product listed on there as well. We offer either home delivery or you can pick up at any of our three farm locations.
0: Yeah, I need to, I need to do that next week because uh, last year I remember picking up from you over at um, over at the west side. Oh yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, can you share um, the restaurant clients, or can you tell us if we go out to eat,
1: when we're going to be eating your products, your vegetables? Certainly. It's actually been really exciting, despite it being winter and the volume of produce that we have is a little bit lacking, just to see the support, in particular from chefs, which has been so mm-hmm. neat to see that during this season. Uh, so... Part of the Table Three Hundred One restaurants, we are in Lazy Goat. They have a, a salad that has ride turnips. That is our product. Hackride turnips. Oh my goodness! If you <laughs> yeah. haven't had them, you have to try them. They yep. are a life changer. Yeah. Sobeys on the side. They mm-hmm. carry our products. Same thing with the Table Three Hundred One catering. Uh, Chef Drew over at Camp. Uh, we get. I'm actually delivering there this afternoon, so I okay. have fresh product. Fork and Plow on North Main Street. They carry our products. A lot of our salad greens and microgreens. Topsoil over in Travelers Rest. Yeah. Uh, Adam. Yep, -hmm. Chef Adam there. Spectacular creation. Just in terms of what he does to transform, uh, especially vegetables. He's incredible with vegetarian dishes. He's he's the, you know, he's such a prince of a guy,
0: Mm -hmm. right? But, But his chef skills are just, I'm in awe of his chef skills, you know? I mean, he was the chef de cuisine at Blackberry Farm for like eight or nine years.
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Wow. And Blackberry Farm, if you're like a Southern chef, that's it. That's like, what are they doing at Blackberry Farm, right? That's hmm. that's what you want to know. What are they, you know? Wow. Yeah.
1: So anyway, carry on. If you get tacos over at Farmhouse Tacos, they use our micro cilantro and uh, Dijon mustard on top of some of their tacos there. Uh, wait, wait! you're growing Dijon mustard? Yes, micro Dijon mustard. No, come on. Dijon mustard comes in a jar. It's a great coupon. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, Dijon's a city in France. This is true. <laughs> and I don't want to like say any bad things about that in particular because yes. fresh Dijon mustard, if you've had it, oh my goodness, it's amazing. But micro Dijon mustard, it has that same zing to it, that particular element and depth of flavor. So it's just in a small leafy green. So you sprinkle it on top of a taco like they do over at Farmhouse Tacos, and it is spectacular. All right. How many of y'all have pulled over right now to
0: write this down? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next week, micro Dijon greens. I'm going to come get some. You got it. Yeah. Where can we find you on social media?
1: Instagram, TikTok, Facebook? Uh, Facebook and Instagram in particular. We are in the process of starting a YouTube channel. Part of that is going to be an educational series on how to grow produce yourself, especially here in the southeast where um, we have adverse weather conditions frequently, right. whether it's drought, too much rain, uh, pests in particular. Uh, we've been doing some research with UGA on the migration of different pest species and the Southeast in particular have been hit hard by different new species that have been introduced accidentally from Nathan, other countries. No, Nathan is gritting his teeth when he said all these different new uh, species of pests. Uh, <laughs> just in case you grow turnips yourself, you might see that uh, it's hard to grow a nice turnip grain, but that's because of the yellow margin leaf beetle. It's a new the pest. Bastards. Oh my goodness. <laughs> they just make you so aggravated. Having said that, because we don't use any pesticides, yeah. we have been experimenting with different companion planting, in particular, right. on how to either deter them or find another crop they might like a little bit better to right, trap right, right. them, create a trap crop, right. and then you can annihilate them there. So
0: with the flamethrower, flamethrower. The-
1: <laughs> oh, anytime you can mix fire with farming, oh, right? That is a beautiful, beautiful melody.
0: All right. So I love to grow squash. I especially love baby yellow squash, zucchini. Ooh. We get, it's like we'll get 20% of our crop, and we'll harvest it, and then you get the leaf, the, the boring insect that, mm-hmm. that destroys the roots. How do I prevent that?
1: That is really hard, both because the, it's a moth that lays an egg. So it's a nocturnal pest. You can't see them during the day usually. Oh. So it lays an egg at the base of the stem that's very small, hard to see. So once you have the pest, it's hard to get rid of it. But a couple of things that you can do to try to prevent it is if you start to see any damage, you can either extract the, the larva out of the stem, which is not a pleasant experience, or as a preventative, either just take like a, one of those solo cups that you get at the store, put it around the base of the stem, and uh, just put some light mulch in there. That's to prevent the, the moth from being able to lay its egg on the stem in the first place. Another method that you have to be more vigilant in keeping up is just cover the stem with mulch. Because the nice thing with squash is even if the stem is covered, roots will just grow out of it. And it can actually send roots out further along the plant. The last thing of which we've actually had a lot of good success with Mm -hmm. is interplanting. Uh, Last year, we experimented with planting our pepper plants amongst the squash. So we did jalapenos and shishitos uh, by our zephyr and uh, nets squash in particular. Okay. What it does is these type of insects, both the squash bug but then also the moth, they can taste with their feet. So whatever they land on... What? Yes, it's, it's like it's an alien show or whatnot. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's, see, that is proof of God because insects like that are the work of the devil. Oh, amen. <laughs> so, so carry on. So because they taste with their feet, if you have multiple different crops planted around your squash plant... Uh, I know they have been trying to analyze how many times they have to step on a particular plant in order to notice that, oh, this is a squash plant. But if you have your pepper plants where they're walking on that and then go to your squash and then maybe a scallion, it confuses them and they don't uh, lay their eggs. This enabled us last year to get an extra six weeks of production before we saw our like first it, vine like it. I like it. And the nice thing about it. Who doesn't like peppers or scallions? Right, who doesn't right. <laughs> like shishitos and jalapenos? And, oh, yeah, yeah. it's
0: great. Yeah, I love I love my hot peppers. Every year, I'll make a, a hot pepper sauce, and I'll uh, either put uh, peaches or roast or sweet potato into it. Oh, beautiful.
1: Yeah. What is yeah. your favorite hot pepper?
0: Oh, golly. My favorite hot pepper? I tell you, when we were in Belize, when we were in Belize, they had habaneros everywhere, right? Hmm. And they were they were bright orange, and I remember the first time seeing them, the, some lady was buying them by the handful. She had a little paper bag, and she put like a pound and a half, <laughs> right? And this is like the first week we were there, and I was like, Jiminy crickets, you gotta light your family up with this." Well, their habaneros weren't, they didn't have the 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 Scoville units that the ones we grow in the states. Really? They were fairly mild. And sweet and had these lovely kind of citrusy peachy notes to them.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And you could you could literally take maybe like a quarter of a of one of their habaneros dice it up, throw it into a uh, maybe like two cups of salsa, and it would have this nice heat level that wasn't crazy. I mean, I'm from South Louisiana, so I like spicy things. Oh sure. yeah and, I, and I, I was perplexed. I was like, what's <laughs> going on here? One one day we saw a guy. Um, that's all he had in his little on his little produce stand, and they called him the, the habanero just, man. Wow! And he must have had twenty pounds of these things. Yeah, that's incredible. And everywhere you went, everybody they were everywhere. They were like popcorn. You know, they were just people. Yeah, the Belizeans were just popping them in their mouth or Whew. deep frying them or roasting them in the oven. Yeah, it was crazy. That's a, a
1: different game than the habanero I've had around today. Right,
0: right, exactly. <laughs> Where you look at it, you're going to scald yourself. <laughs> but as far as like vegetables or leafy greens, I mean, I love it all, hmm. you know. My wife um, my wife can't stand collards. And I, I know, right? I know, oh. it's heartbreaking. And um, I love them, though. I love those. I think that's the most important vegetable for a southern chef to hmm. understand to love to be able to serve to be able to cook and turn into something wonderful you know that and okra you know there. that's what defines our our region our 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 history our culture you know it's like in new orleans i think the divining defining food product was probably coffee and chicory because of the background of of why chicory ended up in coffee, and and you know it had to do with the um, embargoes during the during the Civil War, which is funny. I never understood why we called referred to it as Civil War because it was very uncivilized. And anyway, it was that, that's how people would would stretch out their coffee was putting ground chicory amongst other things, and so the the coffee and chicory just kind of stuck around.
1: Wow, you know? fascinating.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Nathan, nobody gets out of here without answering this question, so you run into me downtown, or wherever, run into me somewhere in town, got 25 bucks cash on you, and you say, come on, chef, I'm taking a lunch. Hmm. $25 out the door, tip included, where are we going? I'd have to say white
1: duck tacos, if you want a good taco. 25 bucks? We're only going to have one taco. Well, we that's this, right? <laughs> That's the problem man. So 25 bucks, ooh, that's a stretch. As, yeah. I like white duck. I like white duck tacos. They have good tacos over there, but you're right. You yeah. might only scrape away with one taco there, which isn't quite a meal. Yeah, two, two. Well, I don't know. Maybe we get
0: two tacos and chips and a mm-hmm. and tea. I see we couldn't have beer.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Otherwise, uh, it depends. Well, how hungry are you? I guess that's it's not no,
0: that's, This is your
1: that's no. True. This is you. You're you're taking me to lunch. Swamp Rabbit Cafe. They have some spectacular soups, and then their okay. sandwiches as well are spectacular. A lot of their ingredients are sourced local. It's not like a sit-down restaurant right. experience. You're yeah,
0: familiar, I know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but just in terms of, like, if you had 25 bucks, you could get a good hearty meal there, get a loaf of steak of bread, and you would be satisfied. Would, would uh, the sandwich have your greens in it? Not at Swan mm-hmm. Private Cafe. Uh Perfect. That is our goal to build up to that. right now I think they're using some different hydroponic products from Tiger River Farms just because it's winter. Right, right. But They right. do use some of our, our, some of our arugula during the summer season when we have arugula coming out of our ears. So yeah, yeah, gotcha.
0: Thank you so much for coming into the uh, studio today, and, and uh, thank you so much for driving out to the farm in this, on this sloppy, uh, sloppy, nasty day. I'm John Malik. I help make restaurants successful. You can find me on Instagram at Chef John Malik. Or you can find the show if you want to see a few pictures from today. Did we take any pictures? I brought some fresh produce. Oh, yeah, we got to take some pictures. we better to take some pictures of, uh, of, of you on uh, standing outside in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to see pictures, you can find the show on Facebook. Just search for the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show. And you can find my essays on the restaurant business, life in Belize, or the poetry that I write at chefjohnmalik.com. Thank you very much for tuning in. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. The Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is a production of Jack Russell Social Media, and our music is All Gussied Up by John Starcluster. Thank you for listening.